This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 87 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and as always, I'm joined by Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? So, so. <laughs> we just set the tone early on. <laughs> Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Lovely. And returning to the fold this week, as discussed before we came on air, the podcast guest equivalent to Exit Music by Radiohead. <laughs> Here again to pick over another shambolic week in the life and times of Aberdeen Football Club is Tom Watt. Tom, welcome back. How's it going, mate? Uh, good, thanks. Yeah, just uh, I'm like the vulture that swoops in and picks over the bones of something catastrophic that's happened. But no, I'm, I'm good. Good to see you all. And um, ah, may you live in interesting times. Indeed, we do. <laughs> Quite the fucking week, eh? Tell me about it. <laughs> Where to start? Before we get into the nitty-gritty, Tommy, of course we had you um, around the World Cup break to review the season so far to date and the recruitment from the summer. Before we uh, came on, I took the liberty of listening to that episode again (laughs) and (laughs) noting down your ratings of players. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read them out and Uh I'm going to give you the opportunity to maybe revise your opinions. This is like the pitchfork thing where they get to uh, pretend they were right all along. I love that. That's one of my favourite features of pitchfork when they re-review albums. I love it. (laughs) I'm sorry we said that the album was bad. Everyone has decided it's good, so we're deciding it's good too. Yeah. Kelrus, seven. Well, he probably goes up, doesn't he? (laughs) Given the light of the last three games at eight. (laughs) Anthony Stewart, seven. Um, I think that's going down a few marks we'll say a four Liam <laughs> Scales eight five Jaden Richardson five I mean he's not done anything different he's not played since so he can stick out a five seems a bit unfair for him to be at the same level because no, no new evidence will stick with it Hayden Coulson seven uh, six Leighton Clarkson eight I'm going to st- I'm going to say I'm going to no we'll drop him down to a seven I still think he's been good and overall will be fine but it's uh it's just like everyone's tinged with the shite of the last week it doesn't matter <laughs> you just knock three points off everybody i think that's probably the easiest thing to do just knock three points off everyone and then give me the revised scores and i'll go yes <laughs> so well, in that case ramadani's a six fine miofsky's a six fine duke's a five six morris is two fine and roberts is one uh, it's maybe a bit harsh on him being one because don't, don't really know an awful lot more about him. But I think, with the exception of maybe 
Duke can be a seven, but I think everyone else is fair, isn't it? And that concludes this segment of the transfer recruitment rating system. Let's just pretend that's what it said all along. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that was harsh, mate. Like I wasn't expecting you to go full in two footed <laughs> straight off the bat. Bloody hell. Um right, let's just forgo all of the usual Oxbridge pleasantries, will we? Um Normally we would do a bit of a, a review of the game from Easter Road on Saturday, but let's be honest, we ain't got time for that. Let's get right down to it because obviously the latest hammering on the road um, culminating in, well, bringing to an end one of the worst 10 days in the history of Aberdeen Football Club, it's probably fair to say, meant that the Football Monitoring Board finally sprung into action proactively. Jim Goodwin was effectively instantly dismissed at Easter Road, so much so that he just walks out the stadium at full time. Um, the Dons on the hunt for a third manager in less than two years now. Goodwin departing the club after 343 days in charge, leaving with a final record at the Dons. I've played 43, won 17, drawn seven, lost 19, a win percentage of 39.53%. So presumably, no one on the call shocked that the decision was made yesterday for him to leave. Um, not clear yet, though, from anyone whether he resigned or he was sacked based on Cormac's comments post-match, and nothing's been clarified about that. Is anyone surprised a little bit just as to how quickly it unraveled yesterday based on the paralysis that the club found itself in post-Darville? I never expected us to be the kind of club that clearly has a manager's been sacked, saved draft tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was surprised at how quickly the white flag not to go over pick over the game so much but I was staggered at how quickly that white flag was mm-hmm. was flown and and I mean I, I think almost not to, to go too far back but I think almost the way that the post-Darville fallout was handled meant that that was always going to be like you would draft that tweet you would think about what you're going to say because if it wasn't this week or it wasn't the week after it's coming, you know. You don't shrug off that defeat. Um, I, I, I suspect he was fired. I don't think many managers in this day and age turn their resign. I mean, he, he will be, he'll be well paid. I think there was a lot of the the post match photos of him that were kind of there for to, folk to take the piss out of. I, I think the problem with Jim Goodwin all along has been a bit of a lack of hubris, and I think. He did show a bit of adversity, you know, like he did. He did face up that he didn't hide in the back of a car and anything like that in the boot of a car to uh, after his dismissed. But I, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I, I don't want to be that. Would never want to be that club that fired a manager at halftime. But it was, it was, it was basically done. He was basically yeah. fired twenty five minutes into the game. Um, if it could have been done at halftime, it would have been. I imagine the situation was because Cormac said that he came up to him after the game, gave uh, gave Cormac a hug and said it's not good enough. I think what maybe Dave omitted was then when Jim said, "So how about you just pay me off and we call this quits?" <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Graham, it was inevitable, wasn't it? Inevitable. Um, I don't think there's a strong case for anyone to take a different point of view. It should have happened before it did. To be perfectly honest not just knee-jerking from Darville and um, a whole load of nonsense this season. But what I will say is I have sympathy for him from the point of view and as someone who's just lost their job. I also don't think it's been handled particularly professionally or with any sort of dignity by the club. I mean, that statement from our 
football monitoring board, which just, you know, <laughs> leads us open to more piss-taking. Uh, it was really pretty poor. I don't see what anyone thought was going to come out of that. It just, I feel like it's just um, kind of hanging them out to dry a little bit. And it's the right decision. Yes, personality-wise, he's not always handled himself the best, but I don't think that's really a good way to end anyone's employment. So I don't think, uh, you know, no one's looking good out of this. He's lost his job, um, as he probably should do, because the results were garbage. But I don't think anyone higher up the food chain comes out with this looking good either. There's, I mean, letting someone go is probably not pleasant, but there's a there's a better way to do it than the way we kind of just stumbled into it. I mean, we said on Wednesday evening on the pod we did after the statement came out that Goodwin was placed in really an untenable position, wasn't he, on Wednesday night after that statement by the aforementioned football monitoring board? Because it was always then going to come down to this game by game situation and I think I said on Sports on yesterday that this was before the game it was obvious to all and sundry he was going to leave the club within the next you know one to two weeks anyway because there was nothing in our current form that suggested we were suddenly going to spin off three wins in a row and maybe things might settle down a little bit so it was all inevitable it just seemed completely unnecessary what happened on Wednesday and I think the most interesting thing about this is it would appear um, now, having heard this now from a number of different people, that Cormac was the one who gave Goodwin the stay of execution on Wednesday. It would appear that the other three members of the FMB had decided that Goodwin had to go, and it was Cormac who overruled that. And it just seems such a... At the time it seemed daft, I don't know what they thought was going to happen off the back of it. They probably weren't foreseeing a 6-0 hiding at Easter Road, I must admit. But it was just daft, really silly, completely unnecessary. I said it. On Wednesday, I said it again on Saturday. I felt a little bit sorry for Goodwin yesterday. It felt like we just thrown him to the wolves. I think it's been handled really quite poorly. Um, yeah, I don't think that's a good way for someone to leave. And like you say, if there is truth that Cormac has a board and then decides that he's just going to run it himself, well, let's just save some money and get rid of these other guys. And then what What did he think was going to happen? Like you say, you probably didn't have six on your cards, but did anyone really think we were going to get anything? I mean, what, what was the... What was the end game here? You give him a stay of execution on Wednesday and then you lose, which is probably what was going to happen anyway. And then that's the final straw. And I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Even if he had one, where do you go from there? Because like you said, it's, it's, like a, it's like a rolling contract, isn't it? It's just game to game. And what happens? He wins a couple, loses a couple, and we're back in this mess again. You know, who knows how it would have played out. So yeah, it's poor, poor from everyone involved. Um, and it's just another sort of... I don't know, it's just another shit show, isn't it? I mean, I, I actually thought we would win. I thought we would beat Hibs. I thought that that lineup Hibs put out, they had so many injuries. They were, they told, you know, Ryan Portis was away. Nisbet looked like he was away and they hadn't started him. Their midfield looked like you could just run all over it. I was pretty confident that we would win, but I thought that that almost causes another whole separate set of issues. If Goodwin had won, he would still be in charge right now. He would still be part of the transfer process where we need to sign three new players, four new players. I don't know whatever it is between now and close play on what Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. Um, so, and then you, you lose to St. Merrin or you lose whoever we've got in the, the, the coming weeks, and he's he's removed because of the Darvel game. Yeah, it's and I do understand that it is a gut-wrenching thing to have to do and it 
completely understand that the the board and Goodwin may have an amazing relationship, but one you don't fire a manager because they lose a game. You fire them because you don't believe that they can turn it around. And I mean, nobody believed that in the long run he could turn it around. Um, it would have given everybody a kick up the arse. It would have meant that presumably it would have been you know Barry Robson in charge for the Hibs game, which doesn't necessarily mean that the result is it, it, the points taken is any different. But it means that you've got a couple of extra days for there to be some stability, for there to be some idea for, uh, you know, if we're trying to recruit who they will be working with, at least in the short term, rather than at the moment we're like scrambling. It seems like we're scrambling around a little bit. So if you're going to do it, rip the plaster off and just get it done. And and we didn't. Yeah. Um, A a win over Hibs, if it had happened, would have been the biggest piece of paper over the biggest of cracks if they'd... uh managed to make up. I saw no good reason why Jim Goodwin should have been made to be uh, in the dugout on Saturday. It was clear as day for me after Darvel that he was done. Um, might not have said it with his with his words, but for all that saw his post-match uh, comments with the media, I could see that he was defeated. Um, the cynical part of me thinks that the board and maybe Cormac in particular decided to use Jim Goodwin as a um, a shield to deflect uh, the anger from the fans, um, from the board. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think that's actually happened. Um, maybe in the game, people vented against Goodwin, but as soon as that statement was gone, like you see online, especially out there, the anger is palpable towards the ownership of the club. Let's um, we can move on. I think quickly to a kind of slightly more fundamental discussion. I think now, but where we go, but just gents, the three of you, just your kind of final thoughts on Jim Goodwin. Um, I. At the time, I didn't think it was a terrible appointment. I thought that it was uh, it was possibly slightly premature. It was a po- there probably wasn't a huge body of evidence that he knew how to handle a club of of our size, but um, he had improved. Like every club he had been every season, he had improved them. He had been good. They had been like that. His St. Mirren teams were absolute bastards to play against, and I thought. It's not what we want in the long run, but it, it will work. You know, let's see what, where, it go, where we go with it. There were some signs that those, there were some signs that he, he could get us motoring, especially going forward, especially in attack and especially at home. But ultimately, I think this defence will be, you know, the defence will be easy to fix, will be written on his tombstone because for, he never, he never did. Uh, and the moment it turned, and I, I'm not sure you can identify exactly the like what went on after the the Rangers semi final when everything seemed to be going so well uh, until the, the the you know the very end of that game, um, that that meant that we've lost 12 goals in a week in two trips to Edinburgh and a, and a trip to Darvel. So I think obviously the wrong choice, and with hindsight being. 2020 I, I think it probably was just a bit big a bit too big for him there was just a bit too much maybe he cut too quick too deep um too too quickly but it you know it's not the wrong decision that he doesn't have the uh doesn't have the job I, I don't think there would be an awful lot that the situation couldn't be an awful lot different that it would have worked out better for him because I think there were just fundamental issues with the way that he he, he tried to run things I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about his appointment so from that point of view 
to to an extent it's panned out the way I imagined, as in it's not been particularly successful. I I actually thought we would be pretty stuffy, pretty resolute, and the reason it wouldn't be going too well is probably too many draws or you know one nil losses that we wouldn't be particularly attacking, but we would be quite solid. It's been kind of the complete opposite of that. Some of the home games in particular have been quite enjoyable in terms of you know goals scored, and there's been some decent football actually at periods, but for whatever whatever reason that almost every second Saturday when we're not at Pataudry, it's like these guys have never seen each other before or played the game. I don't know what what has happened there. Disappointing the way it worked out. But all I will say is sort of, you know, I think someone mentioned the, you know, the appointment was made quite swiftly, which always kind of sets alarm bells ringing. I also don't think I've been bitching about this for about a month now, this quote unquote philosophy they have. None of the stuff that I'd ever seen from Goodwin really said to me that he was a coach in the mould of what we were supposed to be pursuing. So it was an appointment that was at odds with what the stated ambitions of the club are. So from that point of view, there's an element of us, well, what did you really expect? I mean, it's like this obsession with managers these days, you sign a left back and we're going to play him in midfield. You know, nobody gets to play in the right position. Look at the places McCrory's played in. So you get a manager who had had a degree of success, like he said, he, his submitting sides were pretty solid and probably had been getting better, but he'd been doing, he'd been playing in a way that I guess he was comfortable to coach and it feels like we'd sort of taken him in, probably panicked, got him in and then said, you know, all that stuff that you've been doing quite well, I don't really want you to do it, I want you to try something different and it's just not, it's just not worked. Um, I suspect what's happened here in a contributing factor, like, I think like Tom, out of the three of us, I was probably the most on board with getting Jim Goodwin in, but the very fact that it appeared that it was between him and Jack Ross made it easier to digest the idea of Jim Goodwin. Um, I think what's maybe happened here is that he's come in and had to deal with a certain type of character of player and a certain type of ego that goes with the kind of wages involved when you play with uh, Aberdeen, as opposed to part-time players or the kind of team that he was able to shape at St. Mirren. You know, you... We know that when he came in, he was very open with some of the players that we had under Stephen Glass and said they were going to be out the door and that didn't work out well. And even he admitted that, you know, I think at one point that he was shocked, thought that he was dealing with adults. We all kind of know the the rumour and innuendo that goes along with him and Christian Ramirez. And then carrying on into the season, it, it, it appears the chat is that he's a bit of a control freak and he tries to rule with an iron fist and whether that's going to work for him long-term in, in today's game. I don't know. He's he's made a lot of mistakes. Um, I'm sure that he'll have learned a lot from this experience. And I think he'll probably have the, the kind of character to come back into the game at some kind of level. Um, but also, you know, um, go back to it again. He's, in a lot of ways, he's kind of the least of our problems. Um, it still comes down to the people that put him in charge. And also a great deal of scrutiny has to go on the players that he has because they have massively let him down especially since uh, the World Cup yeah absolutely I think I've said it before I think it was the wrong choice at the wrong time there was nothing really in Goodwin's track record to the point where he came to Aberdeen I thought he was really ready for the Aberdeen job um, he'd done fine he'd done well with Alloa he'd done fine with St Mirren they were a difficult team to play against I expected that was what we were going to do we'd maybe go down that slightly more pragmatic approach after having gone down the route of trying to be more expansive with Stephen Glass I kind of feel that with Goodwin it's almost like he came in and in an interview, they were like, this is how we wanted to play. And he's just been like, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. I can do that. No problem. I'll do that. And kind of said the right things at the time to the board just to convince them to give him the job. But 
it always felt to me that he was kind of coaching against himself to play that way. It never, in his entire time at Alloa or at St. Mirren, I never would have put Jim Goodwin's style as a manager. I would never have put that together with what we were aiming to try and achieve under our strategy and everything. And I think maybe that's been a little bit as I'm doing. The squad balance has just been all over the place as well this season. And I know that people will point the fingers at the recruitment team and everything, but you know we've heard directly from members of the recruitment team who were involved in the summer transfer window activity that it was Jim's choice to load up on attacking options rather than focus on the defensive side. So even then, okay, maybe the defensive players who've come in have not been at the requisite standard. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Maybe. But it was Jim who made the decision who that those were the numbers he was happy to go with. And yeah. as Tom said, the initial statement coming in about the defence will be easy to fix, we'll sort that in a couple of weeks. You know, it became a running joke after a while, didn't it? But there comes a point where it's not fun any longer and you're now at a situation where after the weekend, you've got the worst defence in the league by by quite a margin now. I mean, when you consider some of the defences that are sitting in the league at this moment in time, that's going to be something that's not going to rub off of Jim Goodwin's reputation particularly quickly. Well, when you're pining for the glory days of Declan Gallagher and David Bates, something's up. <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess let's try and look forward a bit now, because that's all we can do. The bigger headache now is, where do we go from now? Um, Jim Goodwin was obviously backed about as heavily as I can remember in terms of managers given money to spend, not just on players, but in wages, etc. as well. But we're now less than two-thirds of the way through our league campaign. We're potentially looking at... Or are we potentially looking at an entire rebuild of the squad again, depending on which manager route the board decide to take next? For me, one of the most damning things about Goodwin uh, laterally and about the players is I don't think we've got bad players. I, don't, I, I, I you know, joking aside about dropping their, their scores down, I think we have a number of players that would get into any team in the league. I think we've got you know, a, a, an awful lot of players who can't get into our team that would get into a number of players and other um, teams in the, the in the league. I don't think the squad is the problem. I don't think the quality of the recruitment has been the problem. I think they've, they've, they've just downed tools in, in recent weeks. Um, so I don't think we should necessarily be looking for somebody to come in and go, right, now this, this, we need to rip this up and start again. I think we need to... I think we need to be a bit more realistic about what we're actually asking for in a coach rather than the sort of idealised version that we, when, when we were talking about hiring uh, Stephen Glass first time around, um, well, first time, the first time there was a farce like this, um, it was like, it, you know, it's like a football manager wish list. That's like, you want to play tag football, you've got to be able to do got to be able to integrate youth in you've got to be able to play a certain way you've got to be able to do that and it was all it was all well and good but how much of that was actually the the pragmatic style of, of what we actually are looking for so I, I think we should take a bit of time first of all to think about what is genuinely you know what who is it that we're genuinely looking for do we want someone that's tactically flexible because that's that doesn't sit with we've got a style it's not a yeah. bad thing to have in the league do we want someone that's got knowledge of the league that's not a bad thing to have, but it precludes a whole... It's not, despite what tabloid journalists in Scotland would believe, going for the foreign option or the Scottish option. There are 8 billion other potential foreign options we could go for. And for me, one of the prerequisites is we've got this squad. I think most of them are workable. 
most of them have some shown at some point this season that they are capable of of doing something. Can you come in and work with what you've got? And potentially, you're going to have to work with what you got unless you've got some stellar free transfers available um, by the time we actually get around to make an appointment. And look, see where we are in the summer. We don't want another full squad rebuild. The most important thing that we do this time, the, the recruitment process, to my mind, the recruitment process for Goodwin and Glass combined took less time than it will take for us to record this podcast. And that's ridiculous. Like, that's a ridiculous situation. Stephen Glass was Stephen Glass was effectively in place, if you believe some of the stories, four months before yeah. there was even a job. It, 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 there was even a job there. Goodwin had a, a run of good form with St. Mirren at the right time. And that, that was effectively why he, he got the job. It didn't seem like there was a huge amount of research that went into and And to, to Graham's point previously, he was at odds with what we'd previously said we wanted. So even if it's just the next 48 hours, figure out exactly what it is that we want. If we're going to go down the route of trying to bring in players from, uh, you know, trying to find hidden gems from overseas. Do we want someone that can speak a foreign language? Because that would help with that. Do we want somebody that can be tactically flexible? Do they have to be able to play attacking football at all times? Or can we have someone that can be a bit pragmatic uh, when it's called on and has shown that they can do that? I don't know what the answers to those, those questions are, but I think that's the bit that we need to do first before we can then go, okay, right, or maybe we're we're you know maybe the the we're willing to relinquish a little bit more of the football operations control side of things to whoever comes in than we were when Stephen Glass came in. You know, maybe they are the top of the tree. I, I don't know what that is, but decide on that first, and then the rest falls into place because there isn't an obvious option, and we don't have an awful lot of time to. We don't we like we don't have the time or the budget or the wherewithal to to go through a whole nother rebuild. And it was a huge rebuild in the summer. There's what I mean, there's there's Ross McCrory, Marley Watkins, Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis, Johnny Hayes left yeah. from from Mike Kennedy. Uh, yeah, like there, there are a handful of players left yeah. uh, on of or of the glass signings. Three? Uh, of the glass signings, I think there's only uh, Watkins Pulvara is and Pilvara, Bajewin and Watkins. Oh, and if you believe the rumours, all three of those are feet out the door anyway, potentially. So that is what it is. I think it's an interesting point, uh, Tom, because you raised it. Because, you know, we ran a we ran a quick poll after the game on Saturday, you know, asking just what people wanted to see in the support, i.e. a quick appointment or that much more fundamental kind of root and branch review, I think, of the club, not just, you know, the managerial position, but the footballing side of the club, and then make that appointment. And in the overwhelming majority, it's like 87.8% want the latter. And I think... I'd imagine I think every one of us on the call here tonight are probably in that place where it's that situation where I think we have we cannot afford to rush this again like we've done the last two. And as Tom's rightly said, maybe we didn't rush the Stephen Glass one because it was kind of done and dusted for a number of months beforehand. But the Goodwin one in particular for me felt rushed. We were told at the start of the week when Glass went, we were going to take our time. And within seven days, he was in the job. It never sat right with me from that perspective. We've moved tonight, just before we started recording, the club have confirmed that Barry Robson's going to take um, interim charge alongside Scott Anderson, and then and we're bringing in Steve Agnew as well as a coach to help assist Barry Robson. Now, Agnew's a guy who's got a wealth of experience as a kind of first team or assistant manager, mainly to Steve Bruce in recent years. That would tend to signify to me that the board 
are going to take their time this time around. I don't think you bring in a coach, you know, to say to them, we're going to be here for two weeks. You know, it screams to me that that's a situation we're going to say, you guys have got a period of time here to try and work this through while we also try and work out what the fuck we're doing. Yeah, I think you're probably probably right there. It does seem a little bit more long-term. It's not quite the right phrasing because it's clearly not going to be the team, but it's a bit more of a solution than a sort of panic of just get Robson or panic and get someone from the from the league. Then go back to Tom's point, I'm in the same place that I don't think the players are bad players. So I actually don't think the scouting and the recruitment, obviously there are some exceptions as there always will be. No, no recruitment is 100% successful. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think we need to rip up and start again. And we shouldn't, you know, it goes back to if we've decided we're going to go down a path that's fine. It's not. It's not the direction, or it's not the. It's not the ambition we have that's the problem here. It's just the the execution. The only thing that does make me, you know, give me some reservations about the players is not so much their ability, but it's been a long time since I have seen quote unquote. They should use the bunny ears here. Professional players put in performances like that week after week. You know, if if they don't like the manager or they're not getting on or whatever may or may not have been happening behind the scenes. I don't think that's a reason to put in performances like that. So that's probably where my concern would lie, that I don't think they're bad players, but is the attitude and their mentality correct and what are Robson and Co going to be able to do to turn that around? And then if they can, where the fuck's it been? And why, you know, why have they why would they then suddenly decide, all oh, right, Goodwin's gone, let's let's start playing football again. So a lot to a lot to think about. But yeah, I, I don't think we need to be panicking and ripping up all of the first team in the summer. We just need to find a way to get a tune out of them as Goodwin kind of was earlier on in the season. Yeah, I'm going to take an opposing view here because I feel like for the entire length of this show's existence, <laughs> I've been banging a drum about how we've got better players than we actually think we do and or the league position suggests. And then just week after week, it's fucking turgid. Um, like like Liam says there, the last three results especially, you know, you look at all the goals we've conceded all 12 goals we conceded in the last three games and some of them are just embarrassing from a professional standpoint and none of them are examples of Hibs and Hearts or even Darwell cutting us open with great attacking play so many of those goals against Hibs are just free headers, a ball is played in and no one fancies challenging for it and it shouldn't require a manager whether that's Jim Goodwin or anyone else giving the players that extra 5-10% or whatever to, to make them you know capable of defending I, I agree with Tom, I think they've down tools and that's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form, regardless of who the manager is or what their issue is. Take it all the way but back. It's, to but the, it is a thing. But it is a thing that happens. Let's not try and pretend it isn't a it, thing that happens. It is, and we've had feel like we've had too many of them recently, and that goes back again to recruitment and the philosophy of what kind of character player we want to to bring into the club. Yeah, I go back to Dave Cormack's post match and some of the language he used in that is very, very concerning to me about um, he and the board doubling down. That implies to me that it's going to be the same key decision makers that are going to be making these decisions going forward. And if that's the case, then I'm kind of of the view that doesn't really matter what we do next because I think we're just going to be here in the same situation in about a year's time. Let's come on to Cormac's post-match in a second or not, in a second or two, but I kind of want just to, to go back really quickly to what Tom was saying as well about it seems really critical to me now. Goodwin was very clear when he came in the summer one of the interviews he did, I think it was with, I think it was with Graham Hunter on Red TV, where he spoke about how his desire and the squad build-up was there 
centered around playing in a kind of 4-2-3-1-4-3-3 system. That was what he envisaged we would do, and that's what the squad was built up around. So if as a this is where it get this is the kind of detail that the board, whether it's the football monitoring board or it's just Dave Cormack or whoever it is, needs to get into now, isn't it? Is around going, well, look, the squad makeup is built around that sort of system, that sort of shape. If we as a football club cannot afford to go down the route of ripping up contracts and shipping a number of these players out the door in the summer, which is going to be hard because a lot of them are on three, four year deals. We've invested a lot of cash in a lot of these guys as well. You know, that was one of the big concerns I had earlier this week in the rumours about Bajewin and Richardson in particular being told that they could find new clubs. You know, just those two alone, if you factor in transfer fees and wages, you've got probably a million quid's worth of sunk costs there if you just let them go rather than bringing in somebody who thinks they can get a tune out of them. Surely then that means that from a shortlisting perspective, you've got to be looking at managers out there or head coaches who that's their kind of default systems. That's the kind of football they look to play. You can't go down that road of looking to bring in someone who decides 3-5-2 is the way I want to play. I mean, fundamentally, I would agree, but it also kind of one one of the things that made me think that maybe Jim Goodwin didn't entirely know what he was talking about is arguably <laughs> the best football he played this season was playing 3-5-2 or a variation of um I think it's I think it's vital we find somebody that can come in when they come in and work with work with what we've got largely like that you know they will have the summer they will have presumably if they've got the contacts to bring in freebies, then uh, and they're of the, the the required quality, then I'm sure that will be. Uh, I'm sure they'll they'll be back. I think it's important we have some identity because I think that's been a big problem. But for me, I don't think I personally have like a hard and fast view about what style of football we play. I think it's just got to be. For starters, they've got to be able to talk. Uh, they've got to be able to play a better game than they talk. It can't be about I'm going to play this way or I'm going to do this. We'll, we'll get there with it. You know, I love to have my, my fullbacks bombing on, and then that's not what they do. You know, the fullbacks yeah. can't defend. Ninety percent of our season is defined by playing against teams that just know what they they, they just know what they do. Like mm-hmm. uh, you know, Livingston, great example. Every single player in that team can play couple of different positions they can play a couple of different systems they're a pain in the arse to play against and most of the players in that squad are better than the sum of their parts it's it's that bit that i think probably appeals to me and this is not suggesting david martindale's the way the, the the way to go but it's more about right this is what i've got i've got an idea of how we can get something out of what we've got that's stage one that's stage one that's the that's the that's the next six months year i don't know after that it's like right how can we evolve this how can we what, what, what's our actual identity going to be well, like what what's our go-to system that's far more important to me than anyone that comes in and goes look i appreciate you've got the squad that's built to play four at the back and four two four two three one or whatever that might be i do that that's you know that's that's my go-to i i think it's much more important that there's somebody who kind of doesn't put their doesn't tie their colors to the mask immediately but kind of figures out as they go a little bit. Dave Cormack, post-match, yes, let's come up to him, because he appears to have, um, rightly or wrongly, we can debate this, to have kind of bought himself a little bit more time amongst the wider support. I'm basing this off of kind of the, the, the feedback we've seen over the last 24 hours with his kind of post-match interviews, where he certainly appeared pretty emotional about the whole thing. Let's put it that way. 
Um, now, there's a deep cynic in me that would suggest that that may have been strategically done to try and get him some sympathy. But there were two parts of the interview that stood out to me as being, I think, the most pertinent and most important. One is the first, I think it was the first time ever that he's publicly acknowledged, I think, that he's made a royal arse of things since being in charge. I think it's the first time we've ever really seen that level of humility and understanding. And number two, and this goes back to what Gavin said when he talked about doubling down. See, I took this a different way from Gavin. I took it to mean that the board were going to double down on the philosophy and strategy, and that's an entirely different conversation. Um, But he did talk about in order to execute that strategy, they had to have the right people to execute. And again, that was the first time that I've ever heard him even contemplate the idea that perhaps we don't have the right people in the right seats to execute that strategy. Now, there was a board meeting obviously scheduled for today. We've heard nothing about the output of that other than the, the intro put up by Robson and Cole. But does that mean, in your eyes, that there could be other people who are going to follow Goodwin out the door here? I think there should be. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I am of the view that a lot of... I, what, is Goodwin the only problem? No. Is he the easiest one to fix? Probably. But that doesn't mean that whoever comes in next is not going to come up against some of the same some of the same sort of issues. And I don't know enough about how the football club is run to know where the where the problems lie. Fundamentally, I've got a rough idea of what seems to be working. I think recruitment looks to have been better since Darmobi came in than it was in the, you know, if you look at the last 20 signings Derek McInnes made, there's probably two that were passable. Stephen Glass's signings largely... Mostly gone. Hit miss. Most, mostly gone, exactly. You know, for But is that because the players weren't good or is that because of the, the, an issue with with the culture? So, and it's, so there's got to be something that is not going right in the background that isn't easy to see from a supporter's perspective. Um, the manager is definitely a huge part of that. But if we are to kind of go through and say what is largely right at the moment, and you know that's not easy, not an easy thing to do. But largely, the club does seem to be producing decent young players. There does seem to be a pathway for those young players to get into the first team squad. The way that those players go out into to get experience seems to be seems to be fairly decent. The recruitment seems to be fairly decent. So, what is it about? Is it that there's just such a huge, big black cloud over everything that? Um, that the manager is going to fix an awful lot of problems. Is it that previously Derek McInnes had such control over all aspects of the football operation that taking him out means there's holes all over the place that nobody knew anything about? But I think there has to be questions. There has to be questions about how things have been uh, run. There have to be questions about how we've recru- how we've recruited the last two um, managers. I've said it before: the Aberdeen job will never be more attractive ever, even if we won the league than it was after McInnes. It was, as far as Scottish football goes, effectively a blank checkbook. It was a chance to rebuild. Like it was, there was so much goodwill. There was like, things had parted on good terms. It was stable. It was all sorts of things. Messing that up was like, it set us back two years. We're now here all over again. I don't know how far back (laughs) this is again, but to make that mistake once is a problem. To make that mistake twice suggests there's something far bigger. So I would hope 
at the very least that it's not just the manager who's who's been looked at for their for their role and things. I I do have some. I think there's sort of two sides to the Cormac's thing. I I not that cynical. I'm sure he is. Like he, he is a supporter. He did grow up as a supporter. I'm sure he is genuinely upset about how. It, and it can't be nice to be like, yeah, this is on me. This you know, this the buck stops with me. I'm going to have to fire another person that I get on quite well with again. And the you know three of the worst results in the history of the club in the space of ten days have all fallen on my watch. That's not going to be nice. Either. But also, it's your job to fix it. It's your job to fix it. Like it doesn't get you out saying. I'm hurting yeah. too doesn't get you off the hook. Yeah, but you're the only one that has the power to fix it. Like if I was in charge, I'd I'd try. I'm like I wouldn't be good at it. It's not it's not for me. But I I would be we're all hurting. But you're the one that's got the power to fix it. So go and fix it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about where we were under McInnesson at the end and yeah, being a stable club. And I think we've definitely taken on the banter years batting has been like a relay race in a lot of in the last couple of years. I think we've now firmly taken on for the for the marathon. Uh, well, we some didn't time. release an ACDC collaboration strip this week, so you know, still time. <laughs> yeah, we'll release a 1975 one. Yeah, fully embarrassing. Um, when it comes to Cormac's interview, I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously a much more cynical person than. And Tom here, I thought it was just him improving massively on Matt Hancock's performance on the news when he tried to <laughs> break open a tear. Um, you know, sympathy when it gets emotional, sure. But then I remember what he put Jim Goodwin through. And I remember, um, you know, that he didn't, he, the board didn't pay any respect to the, the fans that were traveling Easter Road by setting the team up for a catastrophic fail. And that's, that's all on him. Go back to Tom's point again about the managers. I want actions not words we've all we've had is superficial words for the last two years but what we're going to be and in the meantime we've become the laughing stock of Scottish football it's Dave Cormack's role to fix the problems that are in place I don't I have little to no faith in the leadership of our club that they have the capacity to look inwards and recognize that they are part of the problem if not the problem I'll be delighted to be proved wrong and that for me comes from a CEO being given autonomy to run the club the way they see fit. And that means reviewing the recruitment, the director of football, the manager, the philosophy, whatever we want to call it. Until then, yeah, um, God bless these guys that are on Twitter saying they've got more faith than ever that like Dave Cormack's going to get it right because, like I said, I have little to no faith of where we're going. Yeah, pretty much similar. I don't, I don't believe the interview is anything other than genuine. However, as Tom says, ultimately, each and every one of us would have given some sort of similar response if we were in Cormac shoes. And so much as you do support the club, you would be embarrassed, humiliated, you know, the other words you use. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really fix the problem, does it? Um, I don't see how it really buys him time. Or, you know, you get a lot of people saying, well, you know, he's fronting up and he's coming out. We well, he needs all- to, doesn't he? He's, he's the top of the tree. That's his yeah, job is to front he, he needs to. So, yeah, let's not pretend that he's doing this because he's decided to do it. You know, your manager's stumbling over the advertising hoarding, so he's not around to do it. <laughs> um, so it has to be him. But the I don't know, for me, the idea that he's come out and does it and says what people want to hear, whilst I believe that he means it, doesn't change anything for me because it's two appointments in a row now that... If you, depending on how you think the club runs, he alone has appointed 
or he with his quote-unquote board has a point. It doesn't really matter. He's part of the problem. And I don't have the confidence that the right people are in the right positions to get this right again. What should he do? If it was you, if you were in Dave Cormack's shoes now, what would you do? Dangerously irresponsible spending. Well, yeah, if I was in Cormac's <laughs> shoes, I would have been handing out P45s at Darville. I'd probably bankrupt the club by having to pay off the 11 first-team players that were on the pitch at the time, you know, the bench, the whole shooting match. So probably I shouldn't be in charge. But I, you've got to have a look at, if, is he, does he have the right people around him? And by that, I don't mean people that agree with him and basically just, you know, voice his opinions when he's not around. I mean, does he actually have people that know what they're doing? Or sometimes you need someone that will challenge you and resist you and question, do you think that's the right kind of thing to do? So I, I think he needs to, he needs to stick or twist. So he comes back here and he's into it full time and that's all he's doing. Or he takes a step back and, I, like you were saying, gets probably more than one person, but just basically hands off control of the day-to-day operations to an experienced individual or individuals. Now, they don't have to be proper footballing people, etc. There are plenty of people out there that can basically manage people because that's pretty much what it comes down to. I think that's where he's got to do. That's what he's got to do. Or alternatively, fess up that the vanity project's not quite as easy as he thought it maybe would be, in which case it's time to go. But that's going to be really difficult in the current state because I can't imagine he'll be having his door kicked in with people saying, oh, I, I want to take the club on. So we're, we're probably stuck with him, but I think he, he needs to have a really good look at himself because if he's not going to make any changes to the structure, what makes him or anyone think that the appointment of our next manager will have any sort of better outcome than the appointment of the previous two that he's made? Under Dave Cormack, we've become the team where Hearts fans are taking great glee in Hibs winning a game 6-0. That's We're getting what, the piss taken out of us by everyone too often. <laughs> that's what it boils down to. That's not a good place to be. I feel like we're like in that bit in the thick of it when they put Ben Swain on Paxman and they're yeah, going back yeah. and forth between the reactions and then the camera just goes to Jamie and he just mutters, the cameramen are laughing. <laughs> but we are as a football club now. Yeah. Tom, what do you think? What, what, if, if you were Dave Cormack, what would you be doing right now? I think, and I don't want this to be the the cliche of proper football man, but I think there needs to be more football knowledge. PFM is on the TMB. Yeah. On FMB. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly that. Exactly that. I think there needs to be, and I'm not saying that, I'm not going to point fingers at any one individual role. I I have a, I'll come on to it maybe a, a little later, that where I think, there is a, an attempted solution that we could try that if it if it came off would solve quite a lot of problems. But I think what we've got to try and do, regardless of where the you know, whether it's uh uh somebody who understands the the kind of the the balance between the commercial side of the club and the, the business of the club and the um the players and the coaches and the manager and that you know somebody to bridge that gap or or it's somebody who comes somewhere in between that um you know a, a manager who has is able to bridge that gap a little bit more than just being i wouldn't want to say just a, a just a yes man but it does feel a little with both class and to with goodwin to some extent they said what that you know you, you you said previously that 
they did what they said what they had to do to get the job rather than here's here are the problems here so having somebody that would come in like that and it might be this it might be that it's the manager it might be that there's a manager out there who has experience of working in you know a a different division different you know a, 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 a theoretically higher standard than um a more a broader setup than we have at the moment who can say that we need this it might be that we go out and get that you know we we through through the the network through the i presume head of recruitment doesn't just cover players i'm just presuming there'll be like coaches and 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 all sorts would be uh you'd like to think so wouldn't you 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 would hope that it's not just you know it's a footballing network and we'd be able to bring someone like so I think that is where that is what I would do. I would not not to hand off the day to day running of the club necessarily, but somebody to kind of oversee, um, to like so what we can I think what we can largely agree on is Cormac has done a fairly good job in renovating bits of the stadium, talking up the the talking up the possibilities of it the commercial side has been better all of that stuff that he talked about yesterday that yeah yeah that, you know that that's all well and good but that's like nobody gives a shit about that if the team's not winning what i would do or what i would encourage him to do is you run with that like you're good at that you're clearly a good businessman you clearly know what you're talking you've got, clearly got a network you've clearly got like a an idea of it and give the rest of it give the football side of it to a, a chairman, effectively, a CEO. I don't want to just say a director of football because technically we've got one, not just technically, we have got one at the moment, yeah. but there's somebody else who has either been a senior coach for a really long time, has you know has been in football for a, a, a longer time, or has operated in that position specifically at a much more, um, more reputable, maybe not the right word, but like a, a, a more has operated in that position for with a lot more experience. That's what I hope comes off out of it. Um, but like I say, it may well be that there is a manager that can do some of that. It doesn't mean that we still don't need that 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 role there as well, but there is clearly a gap. I'm intrigued. You said you've got like a kind of rough like you had an idea. Wanna, let's explore this further. So does it, like, does it involve Robbie Nielsen becoming head coach? Because that was Graham's solution last week. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, all I said was he was a better manager than Goodman, and that is factually correct. <laughs> so I, I would like us to try, and this is a punt, I'd like us to try and get Steve Clark. I think he's done, he's said he wants to get back into club football at some point. I think he could do that interim bit. We, like he's paid less as the Scotland manager than McInnes was, and presumably the last two are. If you go through what you want in a club, like he can, he's shown he can be pragmatic. He's shown he's got a really good network. He's got, he's been a good manager everywhere he's been. It would piss off an awful lot of people. Not, you know, I don't really want to lose him as a Scotland manager either, but I would like to ask, I'd like us to ask that question. I think it is the most ambitious thing that we could do at the moment within the confines of what we could and like there'll definitely be people listening to this that are like off your fucking head because there's no way he would take the job but like there are there are two three jobs in Scottish football like is, is he going to go back to England after you know depending on what happens with Scotland who knows he's got 18 months left on his contract with Scotland till 
I think it's June 2024. Yeah. Um, if we don't need to make a decision instantly, is there something that we can look at where come back into club football? Because it's radical in some ways, but it's not so crazy that we're looking at somebody who has no experience of Scottish football. And I think it would be a, a statement realistically for him if he was to stay in Scotland, there is the Celtic job or there's like, there's us. You know, I, I don't think Robbie Nielsen is as well paid as, as Steve Clark is. Might be wrong. Um, Hearts are not doing too badly financially, but that is one option. And I think he is senior enough and has experience enough at enough clubs now that he could partly bridge the gap between the other problems with football operations. It would require, you know, a huge amount of money, a huge amount of uh, promises and handing over huge parts of football operation to the manager again, which was the problem that we had um, laterally under Derek McInnes. But I'd be okay with that. You see him though in the, in the in the manager's job rather than that bridging role as a, yeah. as a manager. Like, I mean, yeah. as a manager. But if there, I think there are two. I think there are two distinct jobs. And a, yeah, I agree. One is this football operations, football football man, proper football man in football operations, and one is the one is the coach, one is the manager. But I think it's a manager. It's not. It's not just a head coach. They've got to work with what they've got and all of, all of that. But I think it's got to be somebody who. Is the top of the tree. They're not like they, and yes, we've heard that Goodwin signed off all the transfers, and yes, it it feels like they are part. They both Glass and Goodwin certainly felt like they were part of. This is the guy, and it, you report to the guy. Yeah. Everyone else reports to the guy. He reports to this guy, who then reports to Dave Cormack. That's the way I think a healthy football club the size of ours should run. And I, I have no idea if that is feasible. I have no idea if people think that's interesting but i think if i was to categorize what i want from a manager and there's someone who maybe is thinking i don't know like i'd like to get back into the day-to-day and he's definitely said that he wants to do that one day and he's definitely said that like he misses the day-to-day hands-on side of things maybe that's an option clark he does have a reputation for getting his clubs to overperform as well we did that with kilmarnock and west brom i think at one point he had them in the top four in the in the premier league Loves noising up Rangers fans. I'm on board. Taking all the boxes. <laughs> I, think, as far as I, think, I think I think it would be a very speculative punt, and I don't know if he would decide to trade in Scotland for Aberdeen. But yeah, like Tom says, I think you know you need to be ambitious, and if you don't ask the question, then you'll never know. He, I think for me, yeah, one of the key parts is that the manager that comes in next has to have the capacity for, like, say, making his teams play above themselves. Because I think for the last two years, especially, we've probably had managers that have had the opposite effect. Which is true. I, I'm kind of almost more intrigued by the idea about him going into that that halfway house role, to be honest. I wonder if there's even a role there where he could share being the Scotland national team coach and then like working in that kind of middle ground between Cormac and the head coach. He's got the experience, etc., and the contacts to act in that kind of quasi-director football kind of role, um, but can oversee maybe a younger manager as well. Who knows? Maybe that's the... I think it's it's an interesting shout. I think it's really speculative. I'm not sure Les Gaffs has he become, but it's that. It's if you don't ask, you don't you don't know, do you? I think the hook, and I like, I completely agree that it's he could do that overseeing things. But I think the hook for him, and the only thing that makes me think maybe, is he wants to go, he, like he wants a pathway back into club management. Yeah, the day at some point. Yeah, history does tell us that from Scotland, you do tend to go to clubs like Birmingham. So <laughs> this is true. Yeah, so I, it almost feels like we're all kind of do. Do we need to kind of sort out that more fundamental? you know, CEO-y type, director of football type p- 
position first before we make a call on head coach, new manager. In my head, that makes sense because if you're going to give somebody that control over that side of the business, they'll want to bring in presumably their own person. I think you're going to have to get that piece of the puzzle sorted first because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to get the same people appointing a manager that don't have a great track record of appointing a manager. You get a manager in, then you get someone above him and if they don't gel, then you've got you've got bother. Whereas you think there's a better chance of them working together if effectively the person above the manager is in seat and is part of the recruitment process. And then, you know, again, it just goes back to it should at that point to be clear to everyone in the club what we're trying to get out of this. So therefore, during the recruitment process, it's really clear, and hopefully, you've got an extra pair of eyes on someone to sort of get that feel for. I think they really have a track record and what they're saying is they can down, you know, I can back that up. It's demonstrable that they have done what they say they're doing rather than you kind of go through that interview because everyone we've all been interviewed, you all say what you think they want to hear, not necessarily what you want to answer. So I think having that experience in there during the recruitment process would be invaluable. It'd be a bit daft, I think, to get a manager and then decide, right, you're going to report to someone that we haven't recruited yet. I mean, that's kind of how we got into this mess with the recruitment to a degree that we 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 told Glass, it's okay, there'll be a recruitment team. And then we told them, no, there isn't. So can you go and get as your finest, Jack Gurr? So I think you need to uh, you need to have that piece sorted first. <laughs> Very briefly, I think in, a, in an ideal world, yeah, I think ideally this would have been the first appointment we'd have made that you'd have had your your football football operations guy, whatever that job is, you have him, that would be the first appointment you make. And then that lets you have that separation. I unfortunately don't think we can. I don't think, we, I think that is a job that's going to take a lot longer to find than finding a manager, like a a, a reasonable, available manager. Um, so we may have to compromise. I, I I completely agree with Graham. Ideally, you you've got. I mean, they've got to work, be able to work yeah. together. You can't have them coming in and falling out. So we may have to do something daft, like you know, it's Dave Cormack and whoever the manager is together <laughs> interviewing the managers would be boss, uh, and just making sure that they are all aligned and like he's you know buck stops with him, and you guys are going to have to get on. You're you're the manager that we've got faith in, and with the, with the way that things have been uh, thus far. But it's because we're all talking uh, now, yeah. though, as though we don't have a director of football already in place, and we do. But are we all basically agreed on this call that Steve Gunn's role as director of football is pretty much untenable at this moment in time? I, I think it's more that his what is defined as and what we all understand to be a director of football role just we don't seem to have that like what everyone's so i do not doubt that he does good work and there's you know lots of reasons for him to be doing like he he knows the club better than most but i think what we all understand the director of football to be seems to be where there's a gap so not saying he needs to lose his job but somebody else needs to be there as well to do the bit that there seems to be a gap in yeah it's another classic example of the rumor innuendo about Cormac uh, deciding against the other three quarters of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, the footballing monitoring board decided to sack uh, Goodwin and then Cormac just overrules them. Clearly, he doesn't have the level of uh, decision making that I would attach with that role if he was, in fact, you know, direct football and not just um, 
I don't know. Um, yeah, basically someone who does the bidding of the chairman. Yeah, it's wonderfully depressing, this, isn't it? So just to depress things even further, let's have a look at the bookies. Um, no. <laughs> odds at the moment, <laughs> this moment, time Some of those record. lists let's are have absolutely a look. disgusting, aren't they? Come on, let's have a good old laugh. So as we currently speak at the moment, um, it's on BetVictor, so take it for what it's worth. Other betting sites are available. Yes, of course. Um, joint favourites are Chris Wilder and Barry Robson, both at three to one. Barry Robson presumably in there because he is interim, and I think a lot of the times, well, the bookies will go if he's in for like ten games. That counts as being next full time manager. So there we go. Danny Cowley and Neil Lennon, five to one each. I'm willing it to happen. It's it's coming to it's coming to fruition. Gav Marte Sifuente is six to one. Uh, you keep telling yourself that. <laughs> I feel this is just me on a one man mission to will this into existence. If with this individual we can convince Zlatan to pull his investment <laughs> of Hammerby and come into Aberdeen, all on board for that. Absolutely. Uh, and then after that, Zlatan can pick himself up front for all I care. Definitely. Maybe Zlatan could be the new director of football. There we go. Um, just imagine that. Ah, scenes. The first as, game as with like the first game with Don Robertson in charge. That would be it. <laughs> Lifetime ban from the game, and and then after that you're into like the likes of Paul Lambert, sixteen to one, Jack Ross, sixteen to one. I saw a Celtic fan this week tell me that we'd be lucky to get Paul Lambert. No, I don't think that's the word I'd use. Oh, you have him then. You have yeah. him, Celtic fans. <laughs> exactly. <We're so> like, <laughs> imagine he's your next boss. I think the exact <laughs> words were that he wouldn't take the backward step. Yeah, I was like, from where? Being unemployed as he is at the moment. That's <laughs> quite the take. Uh, Steve Bruce at 25 to 1. Steve Bruce, of course, is a little bit interesting now, given that his long-term assistant has just rocked up as um, our coach. Uh, if you were going to put two and two together. There is nothing interesting about Steve Bruce. That's absolutely true. Uh, Dean Smith, 33 to 1. Gear back, uh, 33 to 1. And then you're into, yeah, right knacker territory. Uh, Sam Adice, 66 to 1. There's a number of those names that if they for somehow rocked up at Aberdeen with the red and white scarf over their head... I mean, deleting the season ticket from my mobile wallet probably isn't as symbolic as ripping up a, a real season ticket, but... That's yeah. just what I was going to say. There's not the same satisfaction as this. just see you, like, being caught on camera, just like... <laughs> yeah, it's not quite punching my Steven Gerrard cardboard cutout, but I think that would be uh, that is for me for the foreseeable future. There, there is a kind of, like, there's a, a sort of stages of post-sacking a manager. There's, like... The bit of catharsis that, like, why the fuck did that not happen soon? Good, good, that's good. Then a little bit of excitement about what might be. And then you start getting the bookies in and you're like, oh, God, no. no oh, God, no. Oh, no. And then it's like anyone but Charlie Adam. <laughs> and then, like, after that, after the, you know, after he throws his hat into the ring for anything, you're like, sure, yeah, I mean, fine. Give it to... Steve Bruce, whatever it is, sounds like a much better idea than some of the names that we it's like gaslight you into making a safe, boring, terrible decision. Yeah. Um is there anyone in that list that you I mean like, I was just to... gonna say as well, it's at least it's not gonna be Sean Maloney and his dad's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> of of the list, I think like Chris Wilder is quite interesting because like I, I have huge reservations about anyone who ever manages in the championship and has any in England and has any degree of success because it's an absolute <laughs> crapshoot. It's like, oh, you you went up via the playoffs finishing 30 points behind the team at the top. 
that finished top and you you know you barely got relegated the next season playing turgid horrendous football and then you just bobbed around like a turd that wouldn't flush between the championship and league one and you played you were like at stoke and ipswich and whoever there's a lot of those Paul Heckenbottom is currently second in the English Championship. It's not, it's not a ringing <laughs> endorsement. Um, but again, like the one thing, like it wasn't that long ago, Chris Wilder's star was completely on the rise. He did have a distinctive style of playing at Sheffield United. He did have um, that he does. It was well thought of. He was tactically astute. He didn't just take a side up, and they did all right. He took a side up. They finished, Sheffield United finished eighth or something. Uh, they, they finished certainly in the top half of the table. And yeah, they were pretty horrendous this second half, of the, uh, the, in their second season. But, you know, they'd massively overperformed before and he apparently got stiffed by their by their board as well. So I think there is something potentially interesting in them with the huge, great, big caveat that it's it, it, it's such a risk with people that haven't um it's such a risk with people that have had a handful of good seasons in the english yeah. lower leagues he's also spent cash money on ollie burke and mcburney yeah. so you know that's a massive in the negative tick box column from my perspective <laughs> like 20 million quid on those two i think i think it was 20 million quid on just McBurney. on ollie mcburney alone yeah, mcburney's about 18 wasn't he oh dear anyway there we go likes overlapping center halves though so you know the, the thought of that <laughs> seems a bit far-fetched. Gav, you were away to say something. I was things. just going to say, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how football transfers work. I mean, I assume that someone goes to the manager at the very end and says, listen, this is what we're going to do. And yeah, he did sign off on spending real money on Ollie McBurney. But, so that's a, a massive, massive red flag right there. Um, truthfully, yeah, from the from the bookies list. Liam, do you want it? Yeah, it's maybe not as bad an idea as it sounds, is it? Yeah. There's no one on that list that I look at and gives me any sort of enthusiasm that things will be different. It's either, you know, like the the comedy ones like Charlie Adam and stuff like that, or guys like that are Mark just Mark McGee. Uh, fucking <laughs> hell! Don't 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 tempt it. Uh, yeah, there's no one on that list. I, I mean, I I have no idea who I want because I know that's the usual argument if you want your manager sacked is well, who would who would replace him so well, it's not really for me to decide uh, I don't have a candidate in mind but I'm not looking through that list and thinking oh that's that's exciting I could see that we might do something different and we might change it by getting one of them so this is another reason to probably ride it out a little bit with Robson and hopefully he can steady the ship to the point where we don't have to knee jerk bin him in because we're sliding down the table you know if he can keep things even just sort of muddling along and we hopefully get a bit of stability back around the club and some time to maybe wait until the bookies refresh their list and there might be something more appealing on it it, it does seem I mean one, one thing I would say it does seem it is an incredibly, incredibly immature market like anyone puts a pound on anyone yeah. at the moment and it's going to be like what you want Steve Patterson back okay <laughs> <laughs> I might put a pound on Henry Apple just to see his name on the list. <laughs> There's a guy on the list who I've literally got no idea who it is. Anthony Barry. He's 33 to 1. So he's, he's the same as Dave Martindale. Um, I'm looking him up now. He, he was a first-team coach at Chelsea, still is, and he's part of the Belgium coaching setup. Well, it's going so well for them. 
Um, no one who's part of the Belgian coaching setup could ever have any problems. <laughs> um, yeah, there we go. I don't know where that's come from. That's an intriguing shout. If not, if Gav, I take it you're just in the place of uh, no idea. You know what? I mean, contrary to some of the views on online, I'm actually quite interested to see how Bayer Robson does in the interim. And I do think that he, based on the work he's done with the under-18s and the limitations he's got in terms of the players he has at his disposal because of our players that are out on loan and whatnot, now that he's got a support staff in place and um, with an experienced coach in the way of Steve Agnew, I think we're not, we're too many wins away from being like quite secure. And if we can get that in the kind of bounce period, that gives us the opportunity to actually go ahead and, you know, review the entire structure, which is what I believe we need to do. So, um, yeah, in the meantime, yeah, intrigued to see what Barry Robson has to uh, to bring to the table. Yeah, without wanting to be too positive on this podcast, obviously on <laughs> June midweek, um, Hearts and Livingston are each playing the Glasgow teams on Wednesday. A win for Aberdeen on Wednesday night against St. Minna would put us pretty much right back in the mix again in terms of certainly fourth spot, which is obviously Europe. Um, and the statement that we released uh, announcing Barry Robson as the interim manager did declare an intention to go about uh, securing European football. So it's obviously still within our sights. Yeah, which is what I think got me also to the place alongside the appointment of Agnew, that if he does, if he comes in and hits the ground running and gets a few results, then I think they'll try and let him run for this as long as he possibly can with a view of trying to get that European spot. Um, the league is still very tight. You know, let's not try and pretend otherwise. And It is, and but also, I mean, like, Tilmarnock are back to being utterly, utterly terrible again. So, True. like I said, I think there's... I think there's four teams in the bottom four all on 20 points. Yeah, the bottom four are all tied on 20. So if you yeah. want to talk about a crapshoot, that's what that seems to be. So I think if we can get a couple of wins, even two wins on the bounce here, I think that takes us away from any any issues there. Yeah, we tend to agree. Everyone knows my thoughts on who it should be. They just need to get it done. It's like um, Yeah, Zlatan is <laughs> director of football. Marty in, in the dugout. We'll be laughing. All good to go. In all of this, we've not really focused on the players at all, really. We've had us really touch them briefly. Wankers. There we go, Gav. Lovely. Um, they've got to take a huge share of blame on this, don't they? The performances in the last three games in particular have been nothing short of disgraceful. They certainly don't look like a group of players who were playing for the manager, despite whatever assurances the the FMB might have been given. They, they are categorically were not playing for the manager. Like, they were not playing for the manager. Any Any club, I would go as far as to say, any club in the entire pyramid system, that, including the juniors, you know, including... Arthur Lee, who beat Darvel at the weekend, would be able to set up against Hearts, that Hibs team and Darvel, and not have an aggregate of 12-0. That is incredibly damning of the players that, that took part in those games, but it's obvious that they had just decided that this I mean, it might be a combination of other factors as well, but they clearly had decided that this was not, you know, they they, they were not going to turn up. They were not going to put any effort. They, and the Hibs, the, the performance, you can't even call it. It was utterly pathetic for the, for people to call themselves professionals and to some of the defending in that game, some of the attempts at, at, at tracking runners were utterly pathetic. Now, so I think there are two there are two issues. One is probably easily more easily fixed, where any manager other than Jim Goodwin, and this is not this is weirdly not a criticism of Jim Goodwin, anyone other than 
the man in charge for those three games is going to get better performance afterwards because it yeah. literally could not be any worse. So that's looking on the bright side. The the downside is that it, it wasn't one or two. Like there was, I don't know, 16, 17 different players involved in those three different games, 18 different players involved in those three different games. And with very few exceptions in more for, I mean, there were a couple and just completely jack it in, but with very few exceptions, um, they they chucked it. And yeah, you've got like everybody in the world serves somebody and from time to time they don't get on with their boss. And yeah, it's great when they're, you know, someone else comes in, but you owe it to yourself, you owe it to other people, you owe it to the supporters, you owe it to your you know, your 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 wider employees and your family and all other things to not be a, a running joke. And it's unfortunate in a lot of ways that it's easy it's easier for players not to be attached to the worst results in a club's history. Like that you know, you won't get that many people that can remember the full eleven from Sigma Olimage. There's not that many people that will be able to remember the full eleven from the nine nil game against against Celtic, but you can absolutely remember who was in charge. You can absolutely remember who was the one that was setting it up, and and so they get out of jail to some extent. And there and there are players who there are young players there, and yeah, there are players that have got some that the pressure may have got to, but there are a lot of seasoned professionals there that should know. Yeah, there really there is are a lot of there are a lot of guys who've been around the club for a really long time and know what it means and knows what it means to the supporters, how far they travel. And that, you know, there will have been people that did all three of those trips, um, like f- 20 hours of, of driving and costs and everything at, just jacked it. I am not, I almost think this is more damning that I don't think it's necessarily an attitude that's going to be endemic and the next manager is going to have to deal with a lack of effort. I just think it's damning at the moment. And again, that's not letting people off the hook. I don't think that there was a lot of talk on the radio um, about the, the lack of characters and the lack of leaders and things like that. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think there, there, there are some. I just think that the, at the moment and over the last two weeks, the last 10, 10 days or so, it's it's just been a disgrace. And they've let them all, let themselves, all, all of them have let themselves down. Um, and in so many ways, it is even more damning that, in another two weeks' time, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they've got a couple of wins. They're looking more confident. They're beating teams. You know, they're, they're playing. I mean, they, they were playing to five percent of their potential, yeah. and that's 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 just a whole different category of shite. Um, yeah, entirely agree. I mean, football is a professional sport. It's unique in that capacity that uh, you can take umbrage with your boss and. Not want to play for the manager, but in the doing that, they decided not to play for the shirt. They didn't play for the badge. They didn't play for the supporters, uh, for the history of the club. And yeah, I've I've got I hold them in a great deal of contempt right now. Um, as much as almost any Aberdeen team that I've that I've known. And Tom's right; it's unfair that it's typically the manager that gets uh, brushed with the the legacy of of what happens with the results. Um, they've got a lot of making up to do. And I include everyone, including the flavor of the month type players. Um, yeah. And much like the ownership, I don't have a huge amount of faith in them, to be honest with you. But yeah, we'll see what kind of reaction they come up with in the next next couple of weeks. It's been a wee while since I've sort of personally felt disrespected by our players on the pitch. Um, I don't really know. I don't really know how you 
get to that point where, because like you say, it's not just one or two, where almost like a whole team just sort of sets out and it's like, ah, fuck it, who cares? That's really, really, that's a really, really poor reflection on them as individuals, I think, arguably more so than the manager or whatever else was causing them to feel that way. So it's going to take some time, I think, to heal these wounds. And, you know, Robson's got a lot on his plate now in terms of the form, the negativity surrounding the club and within the, the support. So he's got all of that to deal with. And then the players have got quite a lot to to do in my eyes to actually try and get the fan base back on side and sort of galvanise and feel like we're a club again that can go forward. I don't think this is going to be an easy fix. I'm not even certain a couple of wins, maybe in Robson's first games, will really do much because you're only ever a loss away from all that pent-up frustration being released again. So I think it might be quite some time before um, this actually settles down. Do you wait for the first time that Curtis made ragdolls Tony Stewart on uh, on Wednesday? Yeah, we'll be there. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Tom, one last one before we let you go because it's late on a Sunday night. Um, <laughs> Gav hit on a very good point here. Um, do you trust the club to get this right? Um, trust. I don't know if trust is the right word. It's I. I genuinely believe people. Everyone there has the best intentions, and. But there is no, there has, I, I want, I want something to make me believe that there's something different this time. Like I said, the previous two managers were not, were not brought in in the right way for my money. I mean, Glass was brought in way before McInnes was out of the job. We were told there were lots of candidates. We were told, you know, there was an awful lot that was, that was spun around that time of, to make it sound like he was the outstanding candidate in a huge wide field. Whether people thought Goodwin would be a good choice or not, it was clear there wasn't a huge amount of due diligence done on on who else was was available. Um, or it didn't seem that way anyway. As Graham said previously, it didn't sound like he that he, he was he'd only ever worked in something that was a complete opposite of what we'd been told was the system and the setup and the way that we wanted to do things. I just want this time for everyone to shut up until we've done something just so it like, if it's like, like don't put out, here's our strategy. Here's what we're looking for. Like we, I've talked to, we've all talked about what kind of characteristics we might, you know, we should be drawing up a list of desirables for attributes that we'd want from a from a new manager those things are we should definitely be doing that don't put any of that out don't like don't talk about what you're going to do just do it and if i don't hear if we don't have if there's not another statement from the club this season about anything (laughs) other than players being signed new contracts i will be very very happy that will be a very very positive thing the I think we've tried in the last few years to do a lot more about being open and being honest with fans and things like that and, and keep people up to date. It it seems to have backfired every single time and there's been a number of things that needed to be handled in a more in a in a slightly more sensitive way that weren't that were absolutely bungled. I mean the the constant departure at the end of last season, which is looking more and more like a horrendous footballing decision now, never mind a um just a, a very badly, badly handled personnel um, issue. 
so that needs to be addressed, I think. So do I do I trust that everyone is trying to do the right thing? Yeah, sure. Do I trust that there's a track record in doing things the right way to get there? There there hasn't been. Like the like make me believe it. Yeah. But that that's basically what I'm saying. Like, make me believe it. Give me give me something to believe in that we've we've got these fundamentals right so that decisions can start being I've got faith in the decisions going forward. Well there we go. That was fun, wasn't that? Can we make a promise to Tom that one of these just won't be really, really depressing? Yeah. Make him want to end it all. Can we have some sort, even if it's not Aberdeen related, we might have to change the topic. Can we get him on one night and just actually have some fun? I promise when we win a cup, Tom, you'll be the guest of choice for okay, that one. Okay, that's... <laughs> no, no, Something to look forward to. No cup ties, no post-Celtic matches, no games <laughs> after Tash. It's like just a, a list of things I can't do. No, uh, always, always happy to get these things off my chest. Lovely stuff, Tom. Um, we'll see you next time, I guess. Stand free. So moving on, other news from Pataudry and Cork Park this week. Well, just as we've been recording, despite the fact we've got no manager in charge, obviously Barry Robson appointed as interim manager earlier this afternoon. The Dons have made a signing, though. Graham, Matty Pollock joining us on loan from Waterford to the rest of, for the rest of the season. Centre half arrives on loan from Watford, having began his career at Leeds United. He's uh, had a couple of loan deals out at Grimsby and Cheltenham Town. Now, if I remember correctly, the last time we brought a player who'd recently had a loan spell at Cheltenham Town, it was Michael Hector. So, fingers crossed, maybe the same results here. Yeah, if he could be Michael Hector, Mark II, that would work out rather well. Absolutely. You also missed out, uh, he's a highly rated centre-back. Oh, was he highly rated? Yes. So you know he's got to be good. Excellent. Well, that's good. I, I don't like it when we sign those lowly rated centre-halves. Exactly. Straight into the squad, pending international clearance for the match on Wednesday night against St Marin. Uh, we'll try and find out a little bit more about Matty Pollock later on. Disappointingly, of course, Pollock won't be alongside Scales on Wednesday evening. Um, for those of you who enjoyed fish-based puns, of which I can see Graham's one. Yeah, all I will say, Matt, is uh, you're going to have your work cut out. I did see that he's uh, he has tweeted that he's delighted to be here. So mm, I'll see how long that lasts. How bad is Watford? <laughs> it's the Ryan Porteous effect, straight in play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we obviously need the defensive cover, but... I guess the last centre-half we also loaned from Watford, Tommy Hoban. Yes, true. So hopefully, um, maybe as successful as Tommy was as well. Well, obviously, not without the injury issues, hopefully. Um, yes. An interesting one, I mean, centre half from what we've been needing, we've clearly missed out on a couple of targets up until now anyway. I know we were linked with um, the boy Hill, who ended up at Hearts. I think we appear to have fought off Hibs to get Pollock. Over, obviously Hibs, obviously. Yeah, obviously. To get Pollock on the hook. Um Oh, yes. Graham's in. You're enjoying that one, Graham. You think like he was one. angling for a loan move? Oh, nice. Nice. And then there was all the chat about us so obviously trying to sign uh, Jay Izades from Go Ahead Eagles. That seems to have kind of quietened off a little bit in recent days. Rumours as well today are certainly emanating out of the Netherlands that we appear to be closing in on a deal to sign Ajax youth goalkeeper Jay Gorter on loan for the rest of the season as well. Um, I suspect that's one again I've been in the works for a little while and desperately needed at this moment in time interested to see if he comes in to be first choice or if he's back up to Joe Lewis yeah uh, well yeah definitely need to cover while Bruce is injured 
on the defensive signings, obviously we do need we do need that. But twenty ninth of January, half past nine, still feels like there's a lot of work to be done and not enough time to do it. So it's going to be interesting for Robson and Co to see what they can do with the bag of bolts that is our defence. Yep, absolutely. We'll move on to Lone Watch now. Conor McLennan, start for him at Ibrox as St. Johnson went down by two goals to nil. McLennan lasting until the 89th minute as Willie Collum starred for the home side in this one with some wonderfully baffling decisions, even with the benefit of, the, of VAR. Have you seen these? Yes. What are your thoughts? He's a fucking idiot. Standard. Fair for a Willie Collum performance at Ibrox, I'd say. Unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, which one was your favourite? I think it's the Ryan Jack one because he was told by VAR to go and have a look at it. And he still looked at it and thought, yeah, that's nah, fine. That's all right. What, um, what is there left to say? What is there left to say? It's just, it's just hilarious. People genuinely thought that VAR was going to change the decision making in Scottish football. I think I suspected that it might at least make some of the referees have to at least have a second thought about being as blatant about things nope and it's kind of extraordinary that they've actually just gone nah you know what nah fuck it that's fine just yeah mind-boggling baffling anyway there we go Kieran Nguyenya he returned from injury to the bench for Wraith but was an unused sub as they drew 2-2 with ICT in the championship Jack Mill started and played the full 90 at centre half as they played out a 3-3 draw with Montrose in League One, Aaron Reed and Evan Towler, Elgin City, Towler starting and lasting until the 77th minute in this one. Aaron Reed come off the bench on the hour mark for Elgin as they went down by two goals to nil at Stenhouse Muir in League Two. And Dean Campbell, the FA Cup dream dies for Dino and Stevenage this afternoon. A 3-1 defeat at Stoke City. Dino coming off the bench after just 18 minutes for this one to play out the rest of the game. There we go. Big bad Steve Evans cheat codes no longer working in the FA Cup this season. Steve's bucks. Shall we move on? Talk about uh, Stennis Muir, the Warriors, of course. Um, yeah. Did you see? If I was if I was to tell you that an ex-player of ours liked a tweet from, I think, Sky Sports football um, tweeting the highlights of the 6-0 victory. It was Craig Bryson. It fuck was that indeed guy. Craig Bryson. Yeah, fuck that guy. What a fucking wanker. A guy that threw in the towel after about a month at Steady, as he's a dick. Indeed. Anyway, on to the young team. Um, the young team departing the Scottish FA Youth Cup to Hamilton Ackies following a 5-2 defeat at Cormac Park on Friday evening. So that's a clear sign as to why the board have decided to put Barry Robson in charge of the first team. I am just joking. The Dons um, having gone there, up. There is. Manager's not getting any time already. No time. For his first game. These social media <laughs> podcast hosting wankers, honestly. Exactly. No, 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 no. Singular. Singular. You and I haven't yep. put the boot in. That was Gary's personal opinion yep. that Robson will be the worst manager ever. I don't think I said that, but never mind. That uh, that's putting... what I've interpreted. Uh, the inference was there, yeah. That's what you're allowed to do. That's what you're allowed to do online. Lovely. Good stuff. Uh, the Dons went 2-0 up on this one through goals from Finlay Marshall and Liam Harvey before it all went downhill from there. The Dons exiting at the fourth round stage. And then on for the women's team, big win on the road for our other interim manager in the football club at this moment of time, Gavin Levy, taking on the Quines as they braved a cold and windy in Utinto Park to see off Glasgow women for the second time this season. Goal from Hannah Stewart just after halftime. Seeing the Dons through for this one. 
That's their fourth win in their last six. Only one defeat in those six as well. The Quine's up to ninth now in the table. Beginning to look upwards, only three points behind Spartans and Mullowell and five behind Park Thistle in six. Gavin's laughing because I nearly said only three pints behind. There we go. That's how mature we are. And I think, I think that'll wrap us up for the first half of this week's show. Will it join us after the break? For our preview of Wednesday night's Clash of the Titans as St Mirren travel to Pataudry in the SPFL Premiership. This episode of the ABC Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Siberia is back and better than ever in 2023 with a revamped food menu and even better, they're offering free area hires between January and March. Head on down and get rid of those January blues by enjoying a night out with your friends on Belmont Street. Book an area or even a table for Siberia's 2023 Burns Supper via their website at siberia-aberdeen.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to the preview of the Sipman game on Wednesday, just a quick shout out to a number of different contributors this week uh, who've been putting some cheese on the table in recognition of the the hard work and effort that's gone on this week trying to track the shit show that is Aberdeen Football Club. So a quick shout out to G-Man, Don Down Under, an anonymous contributor, and certainly Cal McMillian, who was very generous, shall we say, for his contribution to the Bean and Coffee Fund this week. Your cheese is appreciated, chaps. If you'd like to keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. Link is in the description. Shout out to Coffee is appreciated. Gav's laughing away at himself here. What's going on, Gav? Absolutely no idea what that's made me think of that, your continued reference to cheese. But you know in that episode of The Simpsons when Homer changes his name <laughs> yeah. to Max Power? And he yeah, tells yeah. Marge, and she says something along the lines of, I don't want to snuggle with Max Power, I want to snuggle with Homer Simpson. And he, he says, nobody snuggles with Max Power. You just strap yourself in and feel the G's. For the longest <laughs> time, I thought, you think of that? <laughs> for the longest time, I thought he said, you, you just strap yourself in and you feel the cheese. Until when? Please don't tell me till tonight. Until not that long ago. That means it was tonight. It's incredibly, uh, that's just the end. What was that? It was a very um, post-watershed comment for a... Sunday evening cartoon on a number of different levels. Hey, Gav, there we go. Wow. I wish we, I wish we had a guy called Max Power Aberdeen. Step on down, Jack. Did Jack Ross sign Max Power for Sunderland, or am I thinking about somebody else? I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, right. Let's move on with this. Come on, let's turn our attention to Wednesday evening, the visit of St Mirren to Pataudry, as I like to call it, Stephen Robinson's audition, <laughs> <laughs> based on our previous recruitment strategy. <laughs> Please don't joke well, about stuff like this. They are going reasonably well. He is both ex, well, he's both well, current Sitman and ex Motherwell. So it, we like those kind of clubs. Yeah, ticks two boxes at least, doesn't he? So Sitman, let's try and get through this. Come on. Sitman returned to Pataudry for what is the third meeting of the sides this season. One win apiece so far, the Dons winning the previous game at Pataudry by four goals to one. Sitman currently now sitting a point clear of the Dons in sixth spot after they picked up their first win in five at home to Motherwell on Saturday, but that's fine. Everybody beats Motherwell. <clears throat> Coughs waiting for preview next Saturday. 
as we just touched on, Saints are actually going pretty well this season under Stephen Robinson. But curiously, despite the fact they're they're doing reasonably well, they've got the second worst away record in the league. Just the one win on the road so far this season with a couple of draws to boot as well. Goals, still a big problem for the Buddies. Just 23 scored in the league so far. That's just an average of one per game. That's the third lowest in the league and only 13 of those have come from open play. Six from set pieces. They do though have the fourth best defensive record in the league so it's pretty clear to see where they are gaining their points. Seven clean sheets to date so far and they're also the best side in the league at defending set plays. Only three goals conceded from set plays all season. Statistically, the dirtiest team in the league, an average of 13.6 fouls per game. Second highest tally for bookings of 57 and they top the charts for red cards. One of the more passive teams in the league, a PPDA of 15.2 is the third most passive in the league. So they're no, we know what's going to happen. They're going to sit in, they're going to play with a low block, they're going to give up possession because we know they don't like the ball and they're going to ask you to break them down. Top scorer, and this is always, I would suggest, a red flag for any team in the top flight, is Curtis Main on four. It's the way you've written that, it's Curtis Main dash four. It looks like he's on minus four. <laughs> Maybe he is. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so Wednesday night, it's going to be an interesting one, I think, isn't it? Because I had this lined up in my head already that we were going to go to, get, go to Easter Road. We would certainly not be beaten 6-0, that we might get away with a draw. We might even win the game because Hibs were in such a mess. We would stumble on to Wednesday with Jim Goodwin still in charge and there would just be that underlying toxicity at the ground waiting to break out um, for the first misplaced pass into the stand. And it would have been somewhat poetic if it was St Mirren who came to Pathology with, as I say, the second worst away record in the league and came and did a job that put the nail in the coffin of their final manager that's not going to happen now obviously it's going to be Barry Robson with his interim coaching team of Scott Anson and Steve Agnew in the dugout what do you think we can expect on Wednesday night I wouldn't dismiss the idea of toxicity being in the atmosphere I'm not yeah. dismissing it but I think there's a different level to it yeah a more <laughs> I think oh yeah it probably would be more off the back of uh, off the back of Easter Road for sure um Matty Pollock is presumably going to come in and play centre-back almost straight away. Yeah, He's going to get dropped in and get a harsh dose of reality the first time he tries to play a sideways pass over to Tony Stewart. See what <laughs> happens there. Um, you know, speculation we might have a new goalkeeper in the door by that point as well. Um, this Dutch lad. Um, Jinky comes in as a new first-choice keeper or is he in to back up for Joe Lewis? It would surprise me if Ajax are loaning a keeper out to a team in Scotland for him to be on the bench. So I'd imagine he would come in and feature straight away. Straight off the bat. Okay. It's it's a really it's a really hard one to understand or speculate what's going to happen because you just you don't know how the players are going to react to the change in the in the management. You don't know what Barry Robson's going to change about things. Um I think some He's not going to change too much, is he? Let's be honest. I can't see Robson going with a, a particularly big overhaul. What will be interesting, I think, from my perspective, is what happens with the likes of Bajeron and Richardson. Yeah. One of them might come back in and continue to flatter to deceive. Which one? It's uh, not the right back. Um, is This is going to sound really odd, but is, is there a... Have we looked like more unbalanced since Jaden Richardson has departed the team? Like, I'm not saying he's a solution. I'm obviously not saying that, but I think we look horrendously unbalanced at this moment in time without him being in there. Well, I mean, I don't, don't think he's necessarily up to it as much such, but I mean, fuck me, Ross McCrory needs to take some time out of that team. 
Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is where I was going to go to. Actually, I wonder if you actually see McCrory go to centre defence again alongside Stuart rather than them dropping Pollock straight in. I don't, you know what Ross McCrory is capable of just putting in turgid points after turgid points and never gets dropped. So who knows? Maybe he'll be in the sticks. Lovely, excellent. Graham, do you expect to see Barrowson do much different? Do you think he's going to rip up things and try and do something different himself? I'd be surprised, and I'm not sure what he really could do that would be radically different and... Could win some games. That's a bit overrated, isn't it? Do we really <laughs> want to go back to those those dark old days? It'd be certainly radically different. I, in terms of you know personnel, shape or whatever, it'd be a pretty bold call to try and do something radically different. I feel like if he... If he gets uh, a run at it, he might want to just try and change things over time. But I think he's just going to pretty much end up with pretty much the same team that played on Saturday. To us. I don't really see him making wholesale changes. It wouldn't shock me if maybe we see Leighton Clarkson drop out and Connor Bannon comes back on the team. Do you think so? I think that could happen. Leighton Clarkson again is also awesome on that. Uh, you can single individuals. They're all they've all been yeah, terrible yeah, lately. Yeah. But I, I wonder if maybe you know Robson having had more time with Bannon might see him being a key player for him. Obviously, I think Robson gave Barron his debut in the first team or his first start when he got that interim period against Johnston last year. Um, but yeah, I think, generally speaking, I think what I expect, fairly similar personnel, fairly similar setup, and hopefully Declan Gallagher fancies giving us a helping hand out again. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That would be good. Um, or if Charles Dunn fancies helping out his old buddy. I was going to say, maybe Charles Dunn might help us out a little bit. Um by doing something daft to help with the team he supports. Um, come on then, just quickly, let's have a, a rattle round of predictions. It'll be shite. <laughs> with a scoreline of... <laughs> Fuck it, I don't know, 3 0 St. Mirren. Oh, jeez, oh. No, I think... We'd be, I, around the, we'd be around the main stand with your bed sheets out. Sack the boards. Sack the always, FMB. Always. No, uh, no. Looking forward to Wednesday night, are you? I could just see it in your eyes, Graham. I don't even know if I can be arsed, honestly. <laughs> I really just don't know if I can face it. <laughs> well, I mean, our players can't, so it's a fair enough. Yeah, well, this, yeah, is, this is true. It's good enough for them not turning up. It's a fair enough feeling, I'd say. Um, 1-1. Repeat 1-1. of Robson's uh, first game in charge last year. Okay. Do you, th- do you think we see a bounce? Do, you, do we think we see a reaction from the, the players, or is it just going to be same old, same old? Not putting on record me saying that there'll be a bounce off this shower of shit. Okay, lovely, excellent. Does that, do you always feel a bit conflicted though? Because you want the bounce and you want the change in fortunes and you want the better performances. But then at the same time, like, well, where's that been? Why do you why do you not do it before? I always it's always a slightly odd situation because you want it, but you there's a bit of me it's like, well, you don't really want it to be there because if it's there, then where the hell has it been? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to the question then. You you, you come back to stuff we spoke to Tom about earlier on. I think I think people who will sit and try and pretend that football players don't decide they just don't want the manager in charge anymore and they just don't try a leg anymore in the hope that he's going to get punted. I think to try and pretend that's not the case has been really naive. And I think that's what we've seen. Now, that brings you into loads more questions about professionalism and character and all that good stuff. But I honestly would not be surprised to see a bit of a performance on Wednesday night out of nowhere. Um, I think, I wouldn't really touch on it with Tom, but I would love to know which players the the FMB spoke to early in the week that they got this idea that the players were back in good because I think it was clear to all and sundry that wasn't the case the steer you know that we've had on a number of occasions is that a number of senior players were confused 
around tactical choices, decisions, selections, etc., etc., etc. So I don't know who they spoke to from that perspective to to give them the backing. Um, Imagine they've been going through the archives, just finding the most random names they could possibly find in Aberdeen's history, and saying, "Well, this guy backed him." Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, T. Svetinov, he came back and said, "Yeah, he was a good manager." Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it was if you had eyes, you could see that that team were not playing for the manager, and that's been the case since certainly Tyne Castle, anyway. And you could even argue before that. I think the, I think that the performance at Hamden was probably an aberration more than anything else. And it probably needs to look that way. And let's be honest, if you as a professional footballer can't get yourself up for a cup semi-final at the National Stadium, then you'd have some serious questions to answer. I guess it depends on what the players think about Robson, ultimately, when he comes in on Monday. And I don't know how much exposure a lot of these lads will have had to Robson so far. I assume very little. He seems to have been... I was thinking about this last night. Am I right in thinking that Robson was perhaps a little bit more involved within the coaching setup when Denny McInnes was here? I think he was part of the the, the kind of day to day match day. Yeah, because I'm sure you would see him there. I seem to recall him being involved in the like warm ups yeah. and that. Yeah, that's what I thought, and then that dropped off when because he was still in charge of the 18s at that point as well. Though I think so he, was, so. he was doubling up. I think, um, and that obviously dropped off when Stephen Glass came in and his merry band of idiots came in as well. But then at the same time, it, it he never stepped back up again after Goodwin came in, because it was, it was clearly Goodwin and his idiot minion, Lee Sharp, who was um, running things day to day. Curiously, Craig Sampson appears to still have a job. He's a, registered, he's a registered squad member, thank you very much. So, I don't know what's yeah, happening with him. Maybe too expensive to pay off now that he's a player. The brain's behind the operation. He's presumably taking two, two salaries home with him. <laughs> Nobody's noticed. <laughs> Where was it? Yeah, so I, I presume that the players have not really had any real interaction with Robson now up until now um so will be interesting to see what sort of impact that has I I, I literally got no idea whether Barry Robson is a good or, or bad coach um I know that a lot of people talk very highly of him in the academy I know a lot of people out with the club think very highly of the work he's done within the 18s I don't know how much of that is also down to the fact that he's you know he's a name within Scottish football and are you just into that kind of pool as well of what we see a lot of the time where somebody's pal, somebody's pal, somebody's pal, so everyone says a good thing about them. Next thing you know, they're up at, they're at Aberdeen. Yes, exactly. With a lifetime contract. Um, you know, we didn't really get a bounce. Uh, he obviously only, he only managed the one game. But nothing really changed in that game, as I remember. The, the performance was not We didn't different. lose. We didn't lose, that's true. But that was a nice change. Yeah, but as I recall, we were pretty fortunate, weren't we, in that one? We got a penalty kick from did somebody kick a St. Johnston player and collapse in the penalty box, and we got a penalty for that. Like We, were, we weren't very good that night against St. Johnston, as I remember. Um, there wasn't that immediate reaction out of that team. going to be interesting to see. Um, for that reason, I'm going to say it's going to be a draw. Aberdeen 2, St. Marin 2. Um, somehow we'll snatch it back, we'll go 2-0 down and it'll get pretty nasty, and we'll somehow get it back to 2-2. And um, we'll continue to bumble on for another another few weeks, I imagine. Anyway, there we go. That was fun, wasn't it, tonight, boys? Nope. Until Steve Bruce is announced with the footage from a drone. Thanks, Gav. Cheers. Great stuff. Will that do us? Yeah. Yeah. We're done. Yes. Yes, definitely. Done. There we go. That wraps up this week's it. Just like Jim Goodwin. We're done. That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football 
podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please continue to like, subscribe, follow whatever you do on your podcast player of choice. Join us later in the week for episode 88, 88, where we'll look back on our clash with St Mirren before we'll quickly preview Saturday's fixture with Motherwell at Pataudry. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!